Hey, welcome to this week's podcast. I get to be the host this week. My name is Jared Leonard, the Youth Ministries Pastor here at Sailorville Church, and joined here by Pastor Pat, who needs no introduction. So thanks for joining us here this week. Uh, we, we just have a, a few questions, maybe even follow-up from Sunday, some instructive things as well. Um, the first one is maybe more talking about sermon titles. So how do you come up with sermon titles? Do you ever change them? Why do you change them when you do? Talk to us a little bit about that. Now you're that. asking this question because <laughs> I mentioned in my message that I, I really wrestled over the sermon title. Yeah. And uh, of course, I preached on John 3, where you must be born again, which was the original title of the message. And that's right out of the, you know, out of right John out of 3, text. right from Jesus, you must be born again. Yeah. And I'm actually going back. So I'm changing for the fourth time, <laughs> which I almost never do that. I have been known to change sermon titles from time to time. Yeah. But I look at sermon titles. They're just, they're just something to hang something on. Now, there are, you know, this is a social media platform right here, right? I mean, yeah. this is a podcast we're doing. Some of you are watching it on YouTube. Some of you are listening to the audio version. And, uh, you know, if you think about that, it, it the social media platform has made the sermon title important. Yeah. And the reason that is, is because people go and they'll search like on YouTube and they're not going to search for uh, like the title that is out there right now is new start, new heart, you know? Uh, well, yeah. you know, you do need a new heart to have a new start and that's true, but that's, people aren't going to type that in the, in a search engine or in YouTube or anything like that. Yeah. They're going to, if they want to know what it means to be born again, which is the catchphrase here, you know, they're going to type that in there, born again. And, you know, on YouTube, that phrase is going to come up quicker than the other. And so that, from a social media perspective, titles now, and what we're doing right here and for the last couple of years, the titles of our sermon are not, we're not trying to be clever. We're not trying to be cute, you know, I joked in the sermon, you know, because Jesus talked to Nicodemus at <laughs> night. So I said, I thought about titling this sermon, Nick at Night, you know, and people got thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but at the, at the end of the day, we want to have a title that people will find if they're actually searching for it. So, um, so I have that in mind now when I title a message. The other thing I would say about sermon titles in general, and I would tell every pastor out there listening to this message I don't care if you've been a pastor for two years or 20 or 30 or more than 30 as mm -hmm. I have. Uh, I can't think of one person who said, you know, my life was really changed by that sermon title. Okay. <laughs> so that's not the most important thing in the world. It's the substance of your message. Yeah. Unless the sermon title comes right out of God's word, which this one, which does. this one does, <laughs> you know, so you must then, be born again. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, the, the let's make a beeline then for that, for the, the message on Sunday on John chapter three, you must be born again. It was really powerful to me personally, instructive, even learned a few things. Um, let's let's talk about, there is a section in there about um, water and born of the spirit and all this. And you addressed it for sure on Sunday. It was really good. But maybe readdress it a little bit and go a little deeper on that. What What does that mean? Some people get it confused with baptism and what, what does that look yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. Well, and my answer isn't going to alleviate all the questions. I know that some people won't be satisfied with my answer. I think my, I think I gave the most definitive answer on Sunday. I think it's as clear as it's going to be from a biblical perspective. Here's the problem. When you take 
key words in scripture and then you and you go to your theology before you go to the Bible, you're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, the Bible is the number one source. The reformers, the reformers uh, talked about the analogia scriptura. That, that is, the Bible always comes together, and that's the principle that I applied in interpreting John chapter three, verse five, where Jesus replies to Nicodemus. <clears throat> if you'll recall, he says, "You know, Jesus said you have to be born again. One must be born again." And you know, Nicodemus says, "How you know?" How, yeah. How can a man be born when he's old? Must he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's the question at hand. Right. So in the sermon is what I did was I showed because I, and I think this is, I want to be careful with my wording. I think this is a definitive answer. Is it an absolute answer? I think it is. But God knows, and I could be—I could be slightly off on this. I don't think I am. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm almost one hundred percent certain of, in my mind, that Jesus had that passage in Ezekiel that I referred to, Ezekiel yep. thirty-six. Be, and the reason I'm certain of that is not only because of the order when Jesus said, you might have to be born of water and of spirit, and Ezekiel has the exact same, same order. Wording, yep. when, and in fact, I'm just going to re-familiarize our, our listeners with this. Ezekiel chapter 36 is where Ezekiel prophesying of the new birth, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus even came, he says this, he says, and I will give you a new heart. And we talked a lot about the heart in the sermon, if you'll recall, take your heart out, look at your heart, yada, yada. Uh, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will, uh, well, whoops, I got ahead of myself. Uh, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, right. and you shall be clean from all your uncle uncleanness. And then he says at the end of the verse, and I will, I will remove the, start of, the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So you have the order of water and spirit, and the same order that Jesus gives water and spirit. Now, I know that there are listeners out there. In fact, one person talked to me afterwards. We got a guy coming to our church. He's not a member, but he attends our church. And he's always, he's very analytical. He thinks through things. I appreciate these individuals. We have interesting conversations. And he thought, well, what, I think the water is referring to John the Baptist. Because John is referred to in John chapter 3. John the Baptist uh, was baptizing with water. Yeah. And he thought it had to do, it had some connection to John the Baptist. And I listened and I, I appreciated his take. I disagree with him. I don't think it is. There's no connection to John the Baptist uh, baptism here in this passage, passage yeah. that I can see. But there is a direct correlation and even in word order to Ezekiel's prophecy. Now, here's what brings it all together, Jared. And I know I preached on this on Sunday, but I think our listeners need to double down on their thinking on this. Yep. Because just from a biblical perspective, Jesus said... In John chapter 3, when he's going back and forth with Nicodemus, uh, he Nicodemus is beside himself. In fact, he says in verse 9, how can these things be? I mean, he's like, he's. I said in my message, he, if you're confused, you're struggling, you're not alone, even Nicodemus. He's like, what? Remember, Nicodemus, well, Jesus, look what he says. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? That is one of the most important lines in this dialogue because that one line ties Ezekiel and uh, John 3 together. Yeah. 
Otherwise, remember when I said the message, Jared, I said, the only reason Jesus could ask that question of Ezekiel, are you the teacher in Israel and you don't know these things, is, is if he should have known those things. I mean, it only makes sense. Logically, Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you being the teacher of all people, you should know these things. Yeah, he's more than implying that he should have known it. More than yeah. implying. <laughs> and then my, I asked the question, so then you it, it had to be taught in the Old Testament. Yeah. And as we just saw, it was taught in the Old Testament. So to me, that that answers the question. What does the water refer to? The wa- It's the water of cleansing. Well, people say, yeah, yeah, baptism is, that's baptism right there. And I'm reminded of the guy who was arguing, uh, uh, a Lutheran pastor was arguing with, uh, with uh, someone I know really well. And, uh, you, know, you know, he said, you know, well, the water is clearly, the water is talking about baptism. And, you know, my friend said, oh, yeah, well, old, ne- uh, old Nebuchadnezzar lived forever. And the Lutheran pastor goes, what does that have to do with baptism? <laughs> And this friend of mine says, but as much as your statement just now. So, I mean, <laughs> referring there, to Daniel. Yeah, there's that. nothing in here. There yeah. is nothing referring to baptism here. Nothing. Yeah. But water, what does water do? Water cleanses. Here's the other thing I would say to answer that question. We talked at the beginning of the message about metaphors, and this passage is filled with metaphors. You've got water, you've got, you've got uh, wind, uh, you know, uh, you've got these. You must be born again. Born again yeah. I mean, there, there are metaphors throughout the passage, and to me, it's it's consistent with the metaphors in the passage uh, that uh, it's it's illustrative of cleaning, of cleansing. So, you know, the water is referring to the what God does when we place our faith in Jesus. He causes us to be born again. He cleanses us through the blood of Jesus. That's really clear. First John one seven. It's the blood of Jesus, God's Son, that cleanses us from all sin. Yeah. So I think the water uh, in that passage is a clear reference to uh, the symbolism that Ezekiel talked about, cleansing water that takes place, uh, you know, uh, illustratively uh, speaking, uh, when we trust Jesus as our Savior. Yeah, that's good. And hopefully clarifying uh, to a lot of our listeners as well. Um Another, another thing and I really appreciated was your first point was to be born again, you must admit you're not a child of God. That was your first point in your message. And then we talked about, you know, you may encounter people that say, well, well, I've always been a Christian or I've always been a child of God. Um, you know, I, I, I've never had a date or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, here's a couple of lines from your sermon. You can be very religious and yet not be a child of God. Another one along those lines. Not all who believe intellectually believe spiritually. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit further about that and why it's so important in order to be born again to admit, first off, that, that you're not a child of God. You have, there's no way you've always been a child of God. Yeah, so now we are entering into not only the Bible but theology, which, which according to Ephesians 2... Previous to salvation, we are not just sick. We're dead. Yeah. We are dead. Dead people don't get up and walk around. Sick people get better. Mm-hmm. But dead people are dead. And uh, so until a person sees that they're not a child of God, and, and just the opposite, they're dead in their trespasses mm-hmm. and sins, that's the only way you can be made alive, again, according to Ephesians chapter 2. There's lots of examples, like Nicodemus, of religious people in the Bible 
who were not children of God, Nicodemus being one. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is another. If you read those first couple of verses about the Roman centurion, I mean, he's praying, he's giving, he's honoring Jewish people. I mean, he's, you read that and it's like, wow, this guy must be a Christian, but he's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and ra- in fact, God sends, uh, uh, sends uh, uh, an angel, you know, to him and instructs him to go to Peter. And it's a great story. And as a result, he becomes a child of God. But until you admit that you're not. In John chapter 8, Jesus told, again, religious people, those Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil. Mm-hmm. That's strong words. There. <laughs> and and then I, I was just thinking about this earlier before we started. First John chapter three, verse 10 says this, but by, by this, it is evident who the children of God and who, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he shows some fruit or lack thereof that come out of it. But clearly John's talking about children of the devil and children of God. Uh, And so until a person is willing to admit they're not a child of God, that's very humbling, but that's where it begins. I think in the message I said, some of, some people have, some of you have heads, uh, you know, heads full of knowledge and hearts full of rocks Mm. and uh, your pride will keep you out of, out of heaven because of that until you admit that. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Um, another, another, uh, maybe you just kind of mentioned it in passing, but talking about Reformed churches, Presbyterian churches, even, and but kind of yeah. obviously along the same lines, um, maybe broader than just this topic, but maybe specifically to this topic, how would, how would we differ theologically? There may be some, some people who are there on Sunday or, or listening to this that may be thinking, okay, how would... Sailorville Church maybe specifically differ theologically from these other churches. We do have some theological differences, but the truth of the matter is on salvation itself, we're really spot on. We, that, that we, we agree Presbyterian churches, uh, Reformed churches have a, a sound uh, soteriology. Uh, they believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone that our works do not save us. They believe that God chooses people from you know eternity past and that only the elect will eventually come to know Christ as their Savior. We don't disagree with any of that. Um, and, and, and I want to make clear, so I'm glad you asked the question. I have, I have friends, good friends, that are in Reformed churches and in Presbyterian churches who love, who are truly born again and truly love the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get that make that really, really yeah. clear. Yeah, that's good. Uh, a good friend of mine likes to say that uh, our differences with uh, Reformed, and by when I say Reformed churches, uh, uh, Presbyterian churches, they're, they're, their theologies nearly mirror one another. Um, you know, our, our differences are on the bookends of the Bible. <laughs> a, a lot of them don't believe in a literal creation. That is, they don't believe in six-day creation. They they are one in one form or another theistic evolutionists, they, they believe, theist means they believe in God, but then they believe that God used the process of evolution. Could he have done that? Of course he could have, but I don't think the Bible teaches that. If we take the Bible literally, 
then we understand our, the omnipotent God can create all things in six days. He didn't even need six days. He could have just snapped his finger. It was all there. But we're told in Exodus chapter 20, he took six 24-hour days so that he could give us a pattern man, that mm -hmm. is, a pattern for work. The other end of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Most of them are preterist in some ways. They see uh, Revelation as almost, if not completely, uh, unapplicable. Uh, in some cases, they don't even think it's worth studying because they see it as already have had all of those events have already taken place at the fall of Jerusalem. And uh, so they don't see, uh, they don't believe in the imminent return of Christ, perhaps. Mm. But they differ. A lot of them differ uh, right. at this point. So, I mean, there's probably some of them listening going, oh, my goodness, he has no idea what I believe. I, I get it. I get it. There's some differentiations. But basically, on the bookends of the Bible, we disagree. Uh, and then we would disagree on the subject of baptism. You've referenced it a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the covenant, uh, those that, uh, that uh, ascribed covenant theology is what we're talking about, Reformed Church, Presbyterian Churches. They see um, they what they see is they see baptism as a uh, uh, really the New Testament version of circumcision, and that's their argument for baptizing babies. And they would say that baptism doesn't save. They would say it's uh, they would say it doesn't save, but just as uh, just as circumcision made an Israelite boy. Uh, because last I checked, you don't do that to girls, but that's a problem for them. Anyway, uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, it makes an Israelite boy uh, uh, a member of the covenant community. Right. They would say that baptism in infancy makes the child a member of the covenant community of God in this era. But they're really stretching. They, they got to go, they have to make a flat-out beeline to their theology because the Bible doesn't teach that at all. You don't have babies getting baptized in the New Testament. And they'll say, well, look at the household baptisms. Uh, and I say, yeah, what about him? <laughs> you know, the flipping jailer, for instance, Acts 16, you know, he gets saved and, and the Apostle Paul is in his home and they all get baptized. Well, you see, the whole house got baptized, so we know there was a baby there, which is just the... It's the dumbest argument I've ever heard, you Not know. Not necessarily true. Now, I mean, well, in fact, I, I ha we led some uh, Presbyterian individuals to Christ uh, a number of years ago, and I actually took a chance. I, I remember taking this chance because I could have, this could have gone backwards to me, but I took a chance. During one of our studies, I walked them outside there. I can remember the exact amount of ho homes around this neighborhood. There are eight houses in his, on his block, eight. And, uh, and I walked him out. It was the evening. It was the sun had gone down. I said, I said, do you know everybody who lives in this, on this neighborhood? He goes, I know them all. I said, how many babies are in these houses? Now, he had a baby. Well, she wasn't a baby baby. She'd probably one, one and a half. But I said, how many babies do you have in this uh, neighborhood? And he looked around. There wasn't one, not one. I said, so let me get this right. There's not one baby in the eight houses in this neighborhood. But you're going to tell me there was a baby in the house of the the, the flipping jailer's house, <laughs> which is not explicitly stated. Not explicit. <laughs> not not. And so, to me, it's, it's an argument from silence. Definitely, yeah. And uh, it makes no sense to build a house, no pun intended, <laughs> on an argument from silence. Yeah. Uh, we do know that when people got saved, they got baptized. You go through the Book of Acts, which is the divine history of our uh, of the New Testament. And you see lots of people getting saved. 
and lots of people getting baptized and in that order. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that's really good. So that's a big, those are big differences for us. There are other differences, but uh, otherwise, I mean, uh, the other thing, and what I pointed out, and for the sake of the message, because you brought it up, yeah, um, is uh, I brought it up because uh, you must be born again. Mm-hmm. And and the Bible makes that really clear. I'm always, I always think of uh, uh, George Whitfield, who was preaching everywhere to thousands and thousands of people. He had a powerful voice, and his message was always, you must be born again. He had a woman come up to him one, one day and said, Mr. Whitfield, why do you always preach? You must be born again. And he said, because, madam, you must be born again. <laughs> and, uh, and I have discovered that many a Reformed and Presbyterian church do not press that upon their people. While their theology of salvation is rock solid, they don't always press it upon their people. Now, I know that this is 2022, and there has been a revival in Reformed uh, churches. And I praise the Lord for that, I might add. Mm-hmm. Might disagree with their theology on baptism and whatnot, and eschatology, and even you know, their understanding of creation that to me, those aren't saving things necessarily. They're big things, but, uh, here's the deal. I, I know that a lot of them do press the gospel upon their people. And to those of you who are listening out there, you're Presbyterian, you're reformed, you love Christ, you love the word of God, you're born again. And your pastor preaches that you must be born again, born again. God bless you. And I praise the Lord for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, any final words? Uh, as we wrap up here, this this uh, podcast yeah. to our our listeners uh, listening in here. Yeah, I I would have a final word. I would give Jesus his final word. I I pray that everyone listening to this realizes, no matter how religious you are, no matter what kind of a house wonderful Christian upbringing you have been given, no matter how many Bible verses you've memorized. I don't care if you got the Timothy Award in Awana. I don't care. You must be born again. And until you see yourself not as a child of God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that his death and his resurrection was sufficient to take your sins away, and until you confess your sins and turn to him with all of your heart and place your faith in him, you will not be born again. And you must be born again. Thanks, everybody, for listening today.